Hey there, Annie and Julie here. We just wanted to pop in real quick before we dive into this episode and announce our new show name. We're excited to announce that we're rebranding the Investing for Good podcast as the Life and Money Show. Now, this new name reflects the broad focus of our episodes and guests thus far and allows us to tell even more stories about living a meaningful and intentional life by design while also making an impact. We're extremely grateful for your support and listenership as we've grown this podcast and are excited to begin this new chapter so we can bring you even more valuable stories and insights. With that, let's dive into the episode. One of the most powerful things you can do is to define what exactly matters to me, what matters to my spouse, and what are our family goals? What matters to us? You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families, and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey everyone, Annie Dickerson here together with my awesome co-host, Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing really good. I'm just, you know, feeling so excited about 2021 and leaving 2020. Thank goodness, you know, just being done with that year because it just felt like the year that was never going to end. <laughs> I know. Although I saw this hilarious thing on Instagram earlier. Um, we're now, what is today, like the eighth day of the year as we're recording this. Somebody posted, I've tried 21. I've had the seven day trial and I'd like to cancel my <laughs> subscription, please. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> wild. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just so glad because it just feels like we're starting fresh and new. Um, but it's crazy because March is quickly approaching in like two months and it'll have been a full year, at least locally here in San Francisco and in California that we were started our lockdown. I still remember it was Friday, March 13th, Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. What could mm -hmm. go wrong on that day? And yeah, two months away from that, which is just wild. I mean, just thinking about all that has happened. And now my kids are a whole year older developmentally from when we first started like the homeschooling and all that crazy stuff to being where we are now. Um, and so it's, it's just crazy. So yeah. How about I you? I still What's remember. Been... I remember yeah. that day because it was right before spring break for the kids. Yeah. And yeah. they were like, You're, we're going to close down for three weeks. I was uh -huh. like, three weeks? You want uh -huh. my kids to be home for three yeah. weeks? How the heck yeah. do I handle them for three weeks? And here uh -oh. we are almost a year <laughs> later. <laughs> three weeks turned into like nine months, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember that because they were saying, actually, some of the schools were saying it's like a week or two weeks um, that we would be closed. And then, oh, and then it's spring break. So it's really just one or two weeks being right. closed. And then it's a week of spring break. So really turning into three or four weeks, depending on, you know, how it was structured, but um, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, ch ch changes, I am sitting in <laughs> our brand new home office. Oh, you nice. can't tell it because of the green screen behind me, but uh -huh. uh, we're still furnishing it. So basically what we did is um, we live in a duplex, we live in the four bedrooms upstairs, but we also have a separate unit, four bedrooms, yeah. two bathrooms downstairs. And 
during the pandemic, we decided, okay, if we're going to spend more time here, let's yeah. <laughs> make it more usable and livable for, for mm -hmm. us and our goals. And so yeah. we really, with the, with both kids home, you know, these podcast recordings get a little bit tricky with them running around, stomping around, yelling, screaming in the background. So we said, <laughs> okay. If we could ma wave a magic wand, we would create a home office. Well, how would we do that? How would we go about that? Okay, well, what about the four bedrooms downstairs? Could we then take over one of those bedrooms and bathrooms and turn that into a little office suite? So mm -hmm. that is what has been going on over the last few months. I'm sure our listeners who have heard some previous episodes and heard some banging <laughs> in the background are familiar with that construction oh. noise that went on forever, yeah. it seems. But now the most of the construction is done. I'm actually here. It's mostly empty, but we're filling it up with some furniture and rugs and art. And so it's uh, it's been a little bittersweet because, you know, now I go down, yeah. mommy goes downstairs to work. Go to work. And yeah. Right. It's a it's a beautiful space and it's completely separate, more private, no mm -hmm. little kids just running in behind me. So that's uh -huh. great. Mm -hmm. But you know, it even though they're just upstairs, they're still <laughs> like that little Yeah. Speaking so of speaking of life goals and construction and the finances and all that stuff, our guest today is so perfect for everything that we're talking about here. Um, Elle Martinez of Couple Money. And Elle really, I mean, she's been running her business, what, 10, 12 years and really specializing mm -hmm. in that intersection between couples, relationships, family and money. And mm -hmm. I mean, a huge construction project like this could not have gotten off the ground and could not have gotten finished without both my husband and I being on the same page regarding mm -hmm. our vision and our goals for what we wanted this space to be, what our budget was, our timeline, and really supporting each other through this whole endeavor. And that's a big thing that Elle talks about in this episode is don't approach it as like talking about the the dollars and the cents and getting stuck on the spreadsheets and the money, but actually focusing and framing it around the overall life vision and goals. And then uh, looking at the money from that angle, which I love. Well, I think something so important that was like the running theme throughout the whole podcast was this idea of communications, like everything. She kept coming back to that, like have a conversation about it, you know, and I think all too often, especially as women, sometimes not in all cases, but sometimes women want to turn a blind eye, especially if they don't work and the husband is a, you know, the primary breadwinner. It's a conversation around money that they don't think they need to have. And so that was something that we dug into a little bit. And I think it's so important for us women to understand that while you may not need to have control and be in the weeds every day, that there definitely needs to be a certain layer of transparency and you need to know what's going on because she told us a little story, a sad story really of a couple that she had interviewed on her podcast that you know unfortunately had some bad luck um and it was you know a lot of it was because the the wife turned a blind eye and all of a sudden one day they woke up and they're in a situation and um you know so women out there if you're listening and and you think it's not something that you need to pay attention to it it really is and again it doesn't mean that you have to be the one making the financial decisions you don't have to really you know understand it so to speak if you feel like you don't know how it works and all of that kind of stuff don't worry about that you know i think just mainly having transparency understanding where the money's going how it's coming in and just kind of you know 
having that transparency, like I said, I think is so key. And it was something, the communication was something that we, we kept kind of coming back to. But I think, you know, one of the interesting things that I always get asked from investors is, you know, what do I do if my spouse isn't on board? I, I've spent all the time to research you guys and, and I'm comfortable. I've listened to all your podcasts. I've read all the blogs. I've watched all the videos and I'm ready, but my husband, he's just not there yet. You know, and I asked her that question, like, what do people do? And, you know, she gave a couple of great suggestions. Um, one of them being like, make sure that you have your, a little bit of your own money to play with in your own say, you know, about what your goals are and what you want to do kind of like some play money to experiment with, so to speak. Um, but one other thing that she had mentioned was um, this idea of sort of, um, you know, starting where you're comfortable. So let's say your spouse isn't really comfortable with investing in real estate yet. Find a way, try to dig, again, it goes back to the communication and find out what about it is not comfortable for them and then find an investment opportunity that is comfortable for them. So you can kind of start small so that they can start seeing the benefits of that earlier on. And then maybe you jump to something bigger and bigger or maybe you don't, but at least that way you get to learn as well, because if this is something new to you, you may not know a lot about it either. So I thought we got to talk about a lot of stuff um, between, you know, couples and women and money and all of that, but it was such a great conversation. So many good tips and insights for all of our listeners, whether you're currently in a relationship, a long-term relationship, you've been married mm -hmm. for years, whether you're a newlywed, whether you're thinking about getting married any of that, you'll find something <laughs> valuable in this episode. And one thing that Elle talks about is that she and her husband have a little bit of a different um, take on investing versus saving. And so how they worked through that and how they're, um, they've got real estate investing in their sites. And that's something that they are planning on exploring next. And so for any of our listeners out there, if you're in the same boat, and especially if you're interested in passive real estate investing, be sure to grab a free hardcover copy of our book, Investing for Good. It'll give you a really good lay of the land about what it's all about and how you can get started. To get your free book, just text the word book to 41404. Now, before we dive into our episode, we wanted to highlight a recent uh, listener review. We always love the listener love, so keep it coming. Um, this one is from Kevin Hudoba, and he says, love this show. I love the Investing for Good podcast, really authentic conversations back and forth with the guests. I get bored with most real estate podcasts, honestly, and don't really tune in, but I'm definitely interested in this show. Five stars. Thank you so much, Kevin. And to all of our listeners out there, keep that listener love coming in. We love reading your feedback. All right. And with that, here is our conversation with L. Martinez. <laughs> Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. We're expecting snow tomorrow, which is a treat in Raleigh. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> nice. If it's anything like I used to live in um, Memphis, Tennessee, and whenever there was a, a tiny sliver of a chance yep. that there might be snow, it was like everybody seemed to like run out to the grocery stores, grab all the bread and the milk and the eggs, and then just <laughs> hunker down. And the next day it would like rain. <laughs> We're kind of at that cusp. So they say it could be one to two inches. So I lived in upstate New York, 
where mm. we went to school, even if it was like two to three oh, yeah. feet of snow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of laugh. My kids are spoiled. <laughs> they're like, look at all that snow. And I'm like, baby, right. I have a picture like we shared on our personal Instagram, like the snowman is this tall, but oh yeah, teeny tiny snowballs yes. and all that they can scrunch oh. scrunch together. Yes. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> oh well, L, we're thrilled to have you here to talk about family and money and relationships, all the things that we love and you're an expert in, and your blog and podcast focus on um, that, that. I think that topic that people mostly take for granted, which is that intersection of relationships and money. And I think growing up, you know, a lot of us have been taught that, you know, when you become an adult, in mm-hmm. most cases, you fall in love, you get married, and then you just kind of sort of live happily ever after. The rest of it mm-hmm. just falls into place. But yeah, you I think agree in re- on everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're on the same page, like no fights. It's all good. But uh, obviously, in reality, when those rose colored glasses come off, I think most of us see that there's a, quite a bit of work to be done to ensure that both people yeah. in the relationship are aligned when it comes to finances. And I know that you've experienced that firsthand. So take us back to that time. So what happened when you got married and what, how did your views differ maybe from your partner's views at that time? And what made it difficult for you to see eye to eye? So I will tell you, we were so naive. Um, Looking back, I kind of laugh at it. (laughs) So I met my now husband in college. And at that time we did the broke college kid thing. We knew all the happy hour specials, you know, 50 cent tacos, uh, everything. You know, we met in Virginia. And so we thought this is going to be a breeze. Um, We got engaged and we started asking some of our friends that have been married and were happily married. You know, is there anything we need to, you know, talk about or what do we need to do to be prepared? And I honestly was surprised that uh, quite a few of them said, well, have you guys talked about money yet? And I'm thinking, Hmm. well, that's not a big deal. We're both broke college kids. (laughs) (laughs) What's there to talk about? (laughs) Yeah, what is is there to talk about? But they said, you know, it's more than just the number. So that was my first clue that maybe we need to kind of dial in a little bit more. We had, you know, the superficial uh, conversations when you're, you know, you're dating, where you're going to go, because we both were working through Uh, our college. So we were, you know, working around work schedules, we had classes, exams. So we weren't like indulging in expensive dates or anything. Uh, We decided, okay, you know what, we'll just go one night, we'll lay out all the numbers. And this will be so easy. And I have to tell you, this was the most awkward (laughs) evening we had, because (laughs) we were completely on separate pages and you know we'll probably get into this later a lot of it had to do like how we grew up and our backgrounds but for my husband um, on the plus side he is a natural saver so even though I was making more with my internship and job at that time um, he had more in savings but he lived super frugally he wasn't comfortable with investing at all Um, and so that was it that was his thing is like just set aside money And for me, I had the trifecta. I had the credit cards. I had the car loan, which I thought was reasonable. It was a used, you know, certified used car. And then I had student loans for my last two years of college. And so when we looked at that, we immediately go, okay, we are 
definitely on different pages. And I was kind of doing a little bit of everything. Yes, I had the debt, but I had some savings and then I was also investing. So I was everywhere financially doing uh, so many different things. And he's one of those people that just focuses one goal at a time. That's what I'm going to do 1000%. So that definitely told us we needed to approach our money differently. Now, at that time, he seemed really understanding and he was like, we'll work this out. But years later- Right, because you're dating. You're dating. Oh, yeah. When you're dating, it's like anything. Yeah, well, like, yeah, babe. Got, yeah. Funny thing is, you know, you have a podcast. I had him as a special guest and we were talking about that initial thing years later. And he was like, I just was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> well, you have all this debt. But looking back, that was definitely something that was incredibly helpful now for our marriage, because now we knew that we had to sync up, not just on the numbers, like they said, but priorities. What do we want to do and why? And then it also opened up conversations. And that's a huge thing when you're talking about relationships and money conversations, because I think there is a difference if someone has student loans versus a gambling debt. Right. So right. you can't just treat the same <laughs> mm-hmm. debts, you know, the same way. And as we were having these conversations and as we were syncing up down the line, you know, I realized I'm not the only one that's going through this. I was going online. Now I feel like kind of like the grandmother of the internet. This was like 14, <laughs> 15 years. And they had the internet back then. They I'm, had the internet. I'm not even going to tell you like the search engines, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll go there. Yeah. And I found some like personal find sites, but I couldn't find anything that specifically addressed how did the two of you who have an equal say work this out where you are, you don't feel like you're constantly compromising on what matters to you as an individual. And of course, you as a couple and then eventually you as a family. So that's why I started Couple Money. The, the secret is I needed it. And uh, as I started sharing our journey, people were chiming in and uh, it's been a fun ride since it's been 11, almost 12 years ago. Ah, You mentioned that when you said, and how old were you when you and your now husband sat down to talk about money initially? 124? (laughs) Okay. So early to mid twenties. And so you sit down to talk about money and I, you said that, um, oh, this should be pretty easy. Like, what is there to it? You just lay it out, right? And I think that there's this degree of like vulnerability when you come to the table with your finances. It's like something that so few people talk about, even with their closest friends. And so to come to the table and really like expose yourself and lay bare, like this is my philosophy around money. This is what I've been taught. And this is what I've been doing. Here are my habits around money. That's a lot. And so I'm glad you went into the conversation, maybe not knowing (laughs) a lot. Yeah, that was like rip the band-aid moment. And I will say, while I definitely think you should talk hard numbers with, you know, your partner and your spouse, um, I would have done it. So my advice now, when you are starting to talk as a couple, uh, to kind of take the pressure off, one of the things I advise is talking about your goals. Because really, money is the tool. At the end of the day, it's a tool that opens up options for you to start building a life that you love. So why don't you start there? You know, if you are dating, you're just meeting some uh, someone, you don't want to seem like you're prying into their business, but you can say, hey, where do you see yourself in five years? And then kind of work backwards. Well, 
you know, if you're, you're thinking you're going to be living here or doing this kind of career, what are the steps there? When you are nailing down what your goals are, what their goals are, then you can introduce money as kind of a natural segue because it's like, if you want to buy a house or you want to start a business, it's going to take money. So how are you going to get there? So looking back, I am grateful for that. But at the same time, I kind of cringe and wish I approached it differently. You know, we all cringe about stuff we did in our 20s, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that approach, focusing on your vision and your goals rather than the money at hand, because it, it's a tool. You're right. And I think it's a tool that has so much emotional baggage that comes with oh, yeah. it that I think a lot of people get caught in, okay, what are the numbers? What is the debt versus like, okay, how is how does this play into our overall life? goals um, and wealth goals. So I love that. That's something that uh, my husband and I sit down to do at least once a year as well to make yeah. sure that we're still aligned with our overarching goals. So I love that. So I think that's a fantastic idea. Now, that being said, I have a curiosity question here. So what if, okay, let's say two people, they're in love, they're like thinking about getting married, they're in their mid 20s, let's say, and they come together and they're like, Oh, what, what's your vision? What's your vision? And they, they're aligned on their vision, right? Mm -hmm. And then they look and they're like, one person's way in debt. And the other person's got all this savings. So then what is it like, you work together to like, does this person help pay off the other person's debt? How do you, do you have any advice around that? So my advice would be don't mingle your finances before you get married. Uh, just because it could go wrong. <laughs> you know, it can change. But actually something that helped us, uh, I was in this situation. And when I realized like I had more debt than he did, he had like one semester of student loans he had to pay off. I realized I wanted to, before we got married, pay off the credit cards. So that was my mission. And he knew that was the case. So when we went out on dates, he covered it more. You know, I was trying to be like equal on everything. Um, we found ways to work together. We did a couple of frugal dates, cooking at, you know, cooking at his place, my place. The, finding those ways we teamed up which I think is absolutely great, you know, when you're talking about finances, when you're trying to build those habits together, but don't mingle the finances. So you can maybe support if one wants to chip in, maybe helping out with uh, certain goals, let it be more emotional support or practical support, but don't actually pay the bills and the debts because actually you want them to start building the habits themselves. And then he could see I was taking this seriously. I was zoning up to it. And I was so happy to say that when we got married, yes, it was like a day or two. I sent out the last payment, but I was credit card debt free. Wow. That's a huge accomplishment. That's it. And that's such a good tip too. to, you know, once you've figured out where you each are to come to the table with a plan and to support each other in that plan. What a great exercise for married life, right? If you can make it um, together and go through this plan and support each other to accomplish this goal while you're dating, then that bodes very well for down the line when you are married. 
Um, I wanted to go back to um, investing because you had mentioned that your husband, when you had that talk, um, didn't invest. He was more of a saver and you had your hands in a few different things. And so at that point in your mid twenties, what were you investing in and um, what were you hoping to achieve with your investments? So like many people, it's how you're educated about finances that whether you're aware aware of it or not, how you start off. So I was very grateful. One of the jobs I had worked, a manager kind of took us aside and he was explaining to to us, like you can invest not just with retirement, but for other goals, kind of gave us a very high level overview. But he says one of the best things you could do is start when you're young. So that stuck with me. So the first time I had an internship that allowed me to invest in the 401k plan, I immediately did. Now, did I invest in the great, <laughs> did I invest in the greatest thing? No, I <laughs> listened to the advisor that they had with the company and it was a high fee mutual fund. But to me, I felt like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm doing the big time. I'm investing a certain percentage of my money every paycheck. And I will say that again, picking up things from family, my family, that idea of set aside a percentage, you know, whether it's savings, not many at that time were investing, but that, that idea of saving a percentage, I understood. So that was easy. If you don't see the money, you're not going to spend it. So that was my plan. And then for him, he comes from a background where they had a family business. His dad was co-owner with one of his cousins. And so you have people depending on you. They're a little more conservative with their money. And saving was definitely that they, something they were strong with because they had to have enough, you know, for payroll for everyone. And so that mentality kind of seeped in with my husband. And if you would have asked us how we picked up our habits, we wouldn't immediately have jumped to our own family backgrounds. But looking back now, we can see where we picked up those bits and pieces. And you kind of, I think like everybody, you put it together how you think it fits in. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But communicating about it definitely made a difference for us. Because when I understood why he felt like this was important and he understood why I felt like even if it's 5% of our paychecks goes towards investing, that's something that's going to be so much easier down the line because we have the compound interest working in our favor. Those conversations allowed us to move the needle in the direction where we're both syncing up with it. So, okay, hold on, hold on a second, because my, the wheels in my brain are turning. So, okay. So you were into investing and he was into saving. And then um, this was something that you were sort of taught by your early managers and maybe your family. And he had learned different lessons from his family because of the family business and what they were trying to achieve. So then once you came together and you realized that you were on a little bit of a different um, plane, um, not too far apart heart, but had had some different habits. So then how did you now as a married couple, what was that journey like getting, did you sort of meet in the middle? Do you sort of invest in some things, but still have an eye for saving or where are you now? And how's that journey been? So something that we did when we got married, I would love to claim credit that we were like thinking ahead of time, had a transformative part of our marriage with finances is at that time I had gotten a new internship. It was a great internship and surprisingly it paid. 
<laughs> you know, it, it paid well. So I was excited. Those are like gold paid internships. I know, like, do they even have those? Um, and he had just gotten his first post-college job, graduate job. And uh, he's a, a software engineer. And I was operations management at the time. And it was interesting because I was so excited about this. It was great. It was fitting with my schedule. I'm wrapping up my senior year. The managers were fantastic. They said yes. And the pay, you know, you know, for college grads, we're like, oh, my goodness, we're rich. But of course, you don't know if it's going to end at the end of the semester or what. So what we mm -hmm. did at that time is we decided we were going to live off of one income. And then my income was going to go towards the goals. And the goals at that time was to pay off the uh, car loan and to save up we wanted to buy a house. We knew down the line, some kind of property. So that, it's funny because, you know, that was out of necessity. But when I graduated and that internship did last longer than expected, graduated, we had so many options because we had learned to live on one income, but we gave a purpose to each of our income streams. And I think sometimes just that mental shift where each of you feels like you're contributing in some way to a specific goal that you have as a couple can be so powerful. So for us doing that kind of snowballed because we had some savings and then an opportunity came, I was offered a job here in Raleigh, which was great because Raleigh has a lot of uh, tech companies, biotech. So for my husband, it would be a good jump and we already had a job. I wouldn't say lined up, but I had a good chance of getting, which I did. Uh, but if you move, takes money. We had that money in savings, safety, you know, the security deposit first, last month's rent, all that. And we made the leap. And that had been incredible. Raleigh has grown. It's kind of crazy how much it's grown. My husband's income increased. And then I want to say within a year, I found out that that job wasn't a good fit, but we still had that habit of living on one income. We still had a considerable amount of savings. And at that time, I realized that this side thing that I was doing, writing online, writing about marriage and money was making some income. I had this cushion and I'm so grateful. He said, go for it. You know, we didn't have any kids at that time. We had some savings. So it was like all these little decisions were happening because we had the financial stability. And of course, you know, money isn't the goal. It's just a tool. So we are so grateful with that. Just one mindset shift of how we approached it. We could use money to, of course, cover the essentials. But if we're using an income stream or one of our incomes just to hit our goals, then we need to have some goals. And so that opened up more conversations. I think that's so great because it helps you prepare for financial freedom, right? Which is what you do also in your business at Couple Money. So talk to us. A, I'd be curious to learn a little bit more about that, um, how you prepare people for approaching potentially financial freedom. This is how my husband and I have gotten close to it is we've always done very much the same where we've depended on one income and sort of had the other one as if you want to work, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. We take that income, we save it, we put it to work, we invest mm -hmm. it, kind of experiment with different things. But um, I talked to, you know, a lot of people out there find themselves stuck 
in a certain place in their lives where they're, you know, on that hamster wheel and working and working and working. And, you know, the horizon for retirement and financial freedom is like 30 years away. And, you know, a lot of people are looking for advice and tips and they can't find it in the traditional, you know, financial advising realm, right? At least I spent many years looking for that, a good five to 10 years searching for those answers in that typical space and could never get the answers. So how do you coach people who are, you know, in their early 30s, mid 30s, maybe they have a couple of kids and they want to think about retiring in maybe 10 to 15 years, but they maybe have some debt, they own their primary home, they've got credit cards, they've got the private school, they've got the cars. What is your advice to those people who want to shorten their retirement, you know, time horizon from maybe 20 or 30 years to maybe 10 to 15 years? I would say a lot of people, when I speak with them, when they email me and they have questions, are in the same boat I was when I first started, which was I was trying to do everything. Mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of everything. And one of the most powerful things you can do is to define what exactly matters to me, what matters to my spouse, and what are our family goals, what matters to us. Mm-hmm. And it it's kind of taken for granted, right? You go online or you talk to an advisor, they give you this calculator and there's not an input for how do you want to live your life? For example, Mm -hmm. you know, I was self-employed for many years. We decided, you know, started a family. It mattered to me that I had a flexible schedule where I could be present, you know, with, we have two little girls now and still work. I love both. I love my family and I love my career. How did you make that work? Then we had to sit down. Well, what is it that you would like to do? with work, you know, professionally, what would you like to do? And then realistically, what what would you like to do with the kids? And at that time, we're like, oh, can't do part-time daycare. Might as well put them, you know, you're thinking full-time daycare is crazy expensive with infants. You know, part-time daycare, if you find that option, is still expensive. So then it went to how do we build flexibility with our schedule? Mm-hmm. And so then that took me trying to figure out, okay, what projects can I take on? And that's actually one of the reasons I started the podcast Mm -hmm. is I was doing some freelance work. I was a contributor for Business Insider. I've done like, uh, I've been with TurboTax for many years and LendingTree, you know, here and there, different people in the personal finance space, but I didn't have control over the schedule as much as I'd like to. So then it was a business decision. And in the community, they were asking for, can you start a podcast? Love your information. I don't have time. I'm a busy parent. Go figure. You know, we're in the the same boat too. (laughs) I'd rather, you know, I'd love to listen to your article. So I was a fan of podcasts. And it does take a leap. You have to get the equipment, training. You know, if you decide to hire an editor, you have all these decisions that go on. But I went ahead, defined like, okay, I'm going to give it a year. For the podcast, this is how it's going to make money for the business and, and try it. And I'm very grateful that it's worked out. But defining it is that very first step. And I think sometimes it almost feels like the chicken and the egg question mm-hmm. because you don't have time. You feel like you're overwhelmed between, you know, taking the kids to school, doing your job, you're at home. You don't have quite as much time, but you got to slow down and first define what your goals are and then get a ballpark figure of about how much is that going to take if i want to start a business for example 
about how much seed money do I need to have for our family to get this started? Or if you want to start a family, how much do I need? Or if you want to start both, because I think nowadays everyone kind of wants a little bit of both. Uh, put a number on it. It doesn't have to be completely accurate. You don't have to get down to the details. Just get a ballpark figure and then work backwards. Well, if we're mm -hmm. going to get here, what part of our budget can we trim back on? Because this is something that matters. Mm -hmm. And I, I see a lot of couples don't do this enough. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the bills that are due, when they're due. We got to make sure we have this, but we're not talking about, okay, we are four months away from you taking that leap into self-employment or, you know, you're going to launch that business or buying property. And when you can start doing that, then it becomes easier because you're not depriving yourself with your finances. Mm -hmm. You're now making deliberate choices to move your money towards what matters to you. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, it sounds like throughout this whole thing that you and your husband really had very open and honest conversations around where you were and what your goals were and how your goals might have been changing and when um, you started a family, how that might have changed the picture. So do you recommend that people, you know, have a regular like a weekly sit down, a monthly sit down? How What's the best way for couples to check in on the finances over time? Well, one of the good things about having a podcast, as you know, and I enjoy is learning from others. So I was interviewing like families that retired early or couples that started traveling. And I wanted to see are there certain patterns and consistently having these check ins with each other. I call them money dates mattered. Now, for some couples, it seems just honestly with schedule and everything going monthly works really well because of your budget. You can look what went well last week, how are we doing for our goals for the year, and do we need to adjust anything? So monthly for us, that's what we do personally. But I know some couples that meet weekly, it's kind of like a Friday date night thing, but they keep it short. So when you do the weekly check-ins, you're not sitting there for an hour pulling out the spreadsheet. You know, the great thing about fintech is you have apps out there. You have, if you want to do spreadsheets, if you want to do pen and paper, however you like to do it, you can pull up the numbers, kind of look at the cash flow. Is everything okay? Are we going according to the plan? Are we saving enough? For us, we are paying off our mortgage instead of 30 years and 10 years. So that means every year there's a certain amount that we're putting in. And if we need to adjust, like we just discovered this past week, uh, orthodontist for both of our kids, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then you start tweaking things and you, contributions to HSA. Um, so they each, they're conversations, but they're not like an hour about money. It's more like once you set it up, then it's just maintenance and checking in with each other. When we first started, I will say we definitely more numbers heavy, but now it's more Hey, or how is everything going? I noticed that the HSA, we spent a little bit more than we anticipated. Well, yeah, yeah dentists work cost a little more than we thought. You know, those conversations are maybe five minutes, but it, it makes a difference because can I tell you a story when it goes wrong? And you don't yeah, want to Yeah, Okay. Yes. <laughs> what you want to avoid is, and I interviewed this couple, and when I met them, they they were like high school sweethearts, like that close. But they told me something crazy. 
um, they had a system where he handled the finances and she was like, you got it. It's good. And she knew that they were carrying debt, but she didn't realize what was going on. And what happened was not having regular Mm check-ins long story short, the credit card debt went insane. And it wasn't one of those stories where he was gambling away the money. It was, he felt like he had to keep a lifestyle. He felt in his role, to provide if he said no to his family that he was somehow failing them you know we could have our own ideas of like does that make sense or not but for him that's how he felt and so it started growing and he couldn't say anything to her and then in 2008 when they changed the rules about the minimum credit card payments this might sound shocking the minimum credit card payments was two thousand dollars a month And he was like, we have no money. And he had to go to his wife and he's like, we are going to be bankrupt in a matter of weeks. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely no money. Well, you know, it's an amazing story how they synced up, but it made them realize that it's actually a protection for both of you to have these check-ins, whether one person is the go-to person or not, that's, that's fine. But you should both be involved. And both keep an eye on things because if things go off track, because life happens, you can adjust course much easier than waiting down the line when you have this huge amount of debt. They had over a hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt that they had to deal with. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest.
I feel like that's such an important message, especially for women to hear, because I think, and not so much anymore, not so much within the last like five years to 10 years or so, but I feel like before, and even there are still a lot of women out there who live very naively and just relinquish control to their husbands and when it comes to the finances and they just aren't interested. They feel like they're uneducated. Um, I've actually had a woman tell me her husband told her that she, he, she asked to be explained about finance finances within their home. And he said, it's too complicated. You wouldn't oh understand. And she was like, she took that and she became part of her identity and it became, okay, I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. And even if he did tell me, I won't understand it anyway. And so I think it's really important for other women out there who may be turning a blind eye to this within their own home to hear the three of us, the three women talking about the importance of this, because things like that story can happen. And in what you don't want is to be in a situation where one day your spouse comes to you and says, you're going to go bankrupt tomorrow. And the lifestyle I've been providing for you is going to disappear. Um, and so keeping together on the same page, I think is, is so important. Now I, I have a question because I think this is something that I get approached by, by a lot of our investors is what do you do when you have a spouse who isn't on the same page with you when it comes to the goal? So you said, you know, sit down, talk about the goals, but let's say you sit down and you talk about the goals and this is already post married kids and all of that. And one spouse is like, no way are we going to invest in real estate too risky. You don't know anything about it. No way are we going to do that. And the wife has spent like hours and she feels confident about it. She knows like real estate is the way she wants to go. She wants to dip her toes in the, in the water, so to speak. And the spouse is not on board. What do you recommend for, for those, those women that are out there that, that may be in that position? How do you approach that conversation and how do you get them to see eye to eye or not? Or just how do you get on the same page on, on investing? That is, that's something we, we've dealt with ourselves. Mm-hmm. In terms of style with finances, my my husband is definitely more conservative, mm-hmm. um, and it comes from his perspective of you know I want to make sure that there's that safety net. So for us, the solution that we have is like when we're defining our savings or investing, we are looking at it whole. We're looking at it together, but there is a, a certain amount of money where I have control of. I mean, he has, we both have access to all the accounts. So there's no mm-hmm. like secret account. I'll be clear on that. Um, <laughs> no Swiss bank account with a million yeah, no bucks Swiss bank account. <laughs> no, like for investments, like for case, for example, we'll, we'll start with there. If you look at his, it taken years for him to be a little more aggressive. I'm like, you're not an old man. You can do this. You can be a little more aggressive. (laughs) So when we put together our overall plan, we're including our choices. So how do I put this? Like when we do our finances, there is mostly ours and that's where we sync up. And then we have some money where, you know, I have a little, I have control. He has control. It's nothing that's going to like cripple our finances. And then of course we both know because we look at our net worth review when we do our, you know, our monthly money dates, but then we have a say. And it's been great because then he can see, hey, this works or it doesn't work. <laughs> so it can definitely be difficult and you might have to start out small, but then ha- start nudging him or start having those conversations. Well, what about it makes you feel like it's a risk versus mm-hmm. this? I've talked to some couples that don't invest at all 
in uh, the stock market, they want to do just real estate and mm -hmm. vice versa. So, you know, have these conversations. I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I'm saying understand where they're coming from. And then you usually can find, well, how about this? X amount per month or X amount per year. We're going to put this in this fund. We're going to put this in that fund. And these are ones that we can control and test things out with our finances that isn't going to ruin us. Because a lot of times it's just that fear of risk. Mm -hmm. And it's not like someone's trying to sabotage your finances. So fortunately, I've gotten those emails too. But, it's, <laughs> you know, again, those money backgrounds that we have, maybe mm -hmm. they've been in a situation where they've seen a relative completely get scammed by an investment that said it was real estate. You know, there were other factors involved, but they didn't realize that growing up. And so they've carried that with them. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest having some money where you could use that and invest the way you want to, and mm -hmm. they can use it and invest in the way they want to, but make sure it's a part of your overall plan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think everything that we're talking about is so central to good relationships, not only within marriage, but within business as well, right? It, everything mm -hmm. comes down to communication. And when you're not able to have these deep conversations and communicate on a level that allows you to really get to the heart of what it is that somebody's feeling or why they're doing something or why they're acting a certain way, it really leaves you in the dark and you have no idea. And so having these conversations, I think that's been the theme of our, of our podcast today is communication and really just talking about, you know, hey, how do you feel an open conversation? Not, hey, this is the way I want to do it. And it's either my way or the highway, but really spending the time to understand what's behind the decisions and understanding their background with their family and their money so that you can better understand your, you know, your spouse's perspectives, even though they might be different than yours. Um, now I have, I have an interesting question because this has always been something on my mind that I found really okay. interesting. What do you recommend for people who may not be married yet? And they're thinking about getting married and I know you said in the beginning, don't commingle, but I always find it interesting because there's a lot of couples out there who don't commingle even after they get married. And that always, it's, that's not how my husband and I do it. We, mm -hmm. after we got married, every, I think even before I was like, Hey, we need to have like a joint account because it's just going to be easier. <laughs> and so we commingled before we got married, but what is your recommendation or do you have one or, or does it matter depending on, you know, different people for different, you know, different strokes for different, different strokes for different folks. Like, separate accounts or commingle money? Like, what is your opinion on that? I'll separate this. First of all, personally, I have, we have most of our money joint. And mm -hmm. again, we have like separate money accounts, whether, you know, you want to call it fun investing. Again, it's separate, but it's not secret. Mm -hmm. So we do have that. But the majority of it is joint accounts. And mm -hmm. we each have access if we need to. And that mm -hmm. really for us is both on a practical sense, just mm -hmm. the day to day. I'm, yeah. I'm the go-to person for the finances. Mm -hmm. It's just much easier. And then he can always log in and see what's going on. Is he have a question like during our one money dates? It just makes life simpler. Also, you know, I don't want anything bad to happen, but we just been through 2020 come up and happen. <laughs> and so having joint accounts is a protection, especially mm -hmm. when you're talking about the bills and the essentials and also having a way to access it with couples I understand uh, some couples don't feel comfortable immediately jumping in, but mm -hmm. I would advise couples to at least have for those joint goals you have, 
and your day-to-day expenses that you share, have a joint check-in and savings account for those Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. start there. Mm -hmm. And then as you progress, as you get more comfortable, then you're going to shift in a way that works for you as a family. But I do think that it's more difficult Mm -hmm. to have completely separate accounts. I feel like it is harder to communicate Mm-hmm. easier again like mentioning that um, husband that things got out of hand it wasn't malicious intent mm-hmm. but it was something that snowballed out of control and even if you have it separate truthfully because you're married it's just going to make it a lot messier should you divorce because now you just found out there's this credit card debt and your name is on it you know you find these things out later instead of having everything out in the open and working through it. So not to say that it's impossible. I think it's harder if mm-hmm. you go separate with your accounts. I think it's healthy to have shared accounts. And if you decide to have your own separate accounts, that you make sure that you understand why. For example, mm-hmm. uh, step fam- uh, blended families, you know, with certain money and taking care from the spouse child support might be easier to have that separate bank account, but then you know that. Mm -hmm. So you have to craft around your family, but be open about why you have the accounts you do. That's good advice. Yeah. It always was interesting to me because I feel like when you have separate accounts, there's such a division there, you know, between just lifestyles and goals, like you said, and all of that. And I just feel like it's so hard to get on the same page when it's almost like they're living one life and you're living another, because if it's their money and your money, you're going to continue to manage your money and spend your money the way that you want to without any input from somebody else and vice versa. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's always, it's always very interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's just like another, personally speaking, it's like another layer of con, um, stress. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're already mm-hmm. busy. Like say, for example, a pet, mm-hmm. uh, does that count on out of this account, that account, right. you know, this right. is, is that your pet? Like, is that my pet? <laughs> well, pet you know, is it 50% you're... my pet? Do we deduct 50% uh, yeah. of the pet food? Like... Well, you really wanted the pet. So I think you need to do 75%. Right. Or if you yeah. go to the vet, there's an emergency, you go to the hospital again. Right. You have mm-hmm. an emergency. What account is that coming out of? Yes. You know ahead of time. Hey, this is a joint account. Uh, you text, you know, we unfortunately, like years ago, we had a situation where we had to take um, our cat was having seizures to the hospital overnight. Mm-hmm. And I was so surprised how expensive those things are. And um, yeah, yeah um, my daughter never bring a child to the vet. <laughs> When they're going to tell you how much it is. Because she's like, we have to save Cookie. And I was like, oh, no. Okay, you go with Daddy. I have to make a conversation. What do we... What can we spend for the until the morning when the Fed opens? How about that? You know, I'm not going to pay a car. So, but, you know, with money, so many different things besides just the numbers. And I find it funny when couples are saying, I can't get in sync. And you ask them, well, how do you do your finance? Well, I think he makes this much. That's another thing. Like there's such a division. They don't know how much each other makes. Right. Ballpark figure. Again, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's actually a protection. Some people feel like they're divorce proofing their marriage if they keep things separate, but it's Mm -hmm. actually protection. If you are on the same page, you're strengthening your relationship and your finances. 
mm-hmm. because now you have dual income working towards yep. a goal. That's a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can go so much farther faster when you work together. And and it's hard though, I think, because you don't even see that, you know, you, you have all a lot of fears maybe behind commingling, but once you take the leap and you commingle, you know, you're probably going to see your, your wealth grow a little bit faster because you guys are on the same page and you agree. And, you know, there isn't, you're not wasting time sort of nitpicking over whose expenses, what every single time that decision was already made the moment you guys decided to kind of commingle your funds and do everything joint. So I love that. All right, we're going to disagree. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) On how to spend the money. Don't ask me about vacations. We have two completely different views on those. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's it's so hard. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, but I think it just goes back to the conversations, you know, and digging and talking about why, what's behind that so that you can understand the other person's perspective a little bit better. And I always say to my husband, it's never my way or your way. It's always like, how can we work together to find a way that's going to make it work for both of us? And so that you're happy and I'm happy too, you know? And I think that at the end of the day, that's what, you know, is helpful for a successful, you know, longer term marriage when it comes to finances. So, yeah. All right. Let's move into the investing for good impact round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around investing for good. So the first question is investing in yourself. So what is one thing that your investments um, have done for you or allowing you to do to help you live a better life? I, and this is just me, for me, being self-employed has definitely allowed me to pursue a career that I love while at the same mm-hmm. time, I feel like I'm being present for our two little kids and our family in that investment and then reinvesting in the business has allowed me to do that uh, for, mm-hmm. I'm grateful it's over 10 years. It's yeah. insane. I sometimes feel, and I feel bad, like we were having this discussion uh, last year, you know, with everything happening in 2020 is not having that option. You know, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. there were some parents that had to make this decision. Do I go to work and there's a risk, you know, but I have to have that income, you know, for the family Mm -hmm. or do I say no? And then Mm -hmm. you're putting that at stake and they were forced to make a choice. And I'm very grateful because I feel like that is a a part of, you know, a certain amount of privilege being able to do Mm -hmm. that. And I'm grateful. And I, I appreciate that. So Mm -hmm. I I would say not that the business itself, but investing in the business allows me to live a life that I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I feel like when I first got into everything that we do now, that was, I almost was like preparing for a year like last year, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I never in, you know, never thought it would come so soon, um, but was really preparing for a time of what if, what if there comes a day when I can't work, whether it's because of a pandemic, or it's because of, you know, a physical disability or something like that, how am I going to be able to, you know, still be with my family and support them. And so, um, so much so true for for me as well, and the decisions that I made, and I bet the last 10 years or so have just flown by so quickly, um, because it's been a couple of years now since I left my job, and it literally Really feels yeah. like yesterday uh, that I left. <laughs> and it's just been having so much fun. And, um, you know, like you said, getting to do what you love and helping other people has been so impactful. So that's awesome that you get to do that. All right. Yeah, Second question. 
Second question is investing in others. So what is one um, investment strategy or life hack or something that you might be able to share with the audience that'll help them catapult their investing journey? Well, we discussed one of them, which was mm -hmm. this idea of having a purpose for your income as mm -hmm. a family, where you live off of one income and use the second income to pursue your dreams. Definitely can be powerful on a financial side. The other thing I would say is, and practical actual investing is to think of it as layers where you're comfortable with. For my husband, it was starting with index funds, seeing how that works. It's very easy, very passive to fit his style and saving up. We're thinking down the line, you know, looking at different options with real estate, but start where you are comfortable with and then layer that on so you can build those passive income streams that fit you and your goals. Well, that's such a, that's such good advice. I mean, I think that goes back to, you know, my question earlier where, you know, one spouse may not be on the same page as you and how do you get them on board? And so maybe it's a conversation around, okay, well, instead of buying that 300 unit apartment building, maybe we'll just buy a small rental or maybe we'll start off, you know, investing $25,000 into a passive syndication just so we yeah. can kind of dip our toes. Um, and so I think that's, that's great advice. And I think sometimes, you know, when we get into something, we think, well, it's all or nothing, you know, either I'm going to go in and I'm going to start flipping million dollar houses, or I'm not going to do it at all. And the truth is that, especially in real estate, there's so many different layers to what we do and so many different yeah. options and, you know, different ways you could be a lender, you could be a flipper, you could, you know, buy apartments, you can buy rentals, there's, you know, short term rentals, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So um, that's, that's great advice to think about where that comfort zone is. And I think it goes back to having that conversation and talking with your spouse and saying, well, what is it about this that scares you? What is it about it that you know worries you? And then finding where they're comfortable and then starting there. So I love that one. All right. Last question is investing in the world. So what is one thing that your investments are doing right now to help the world be a better place? I, not that I wish 2020 to happen, <laughs> felt that I use the word grateful. I think 2020, that was like our word. We felt grateful to be in a position to increase our mm -hmm. charitable contributions Mm. And business-wise, I partner up. One of the sponsors of the podcast is our regional credit union, which I love. They are reinvesting in the community. But we got together in a matter of two weeks, like once the pandemic hit, and we we're like, what are the circumstances families are going to find themselves in depending on where they are in their financial journey? So we had an episode specifically dedicated for Couples that unfortunately were caught at the beginning where they are dealing not only with the pandemic, the financial fallout, they're in the middle of paying off debt. Now they have to put a pause on that. Worked with the credit union on creating episode that specifically dealt with what resources are available in the community. Then we did an episode for small businesses because they were impacted. And then we did those who are more ahead, maybe they're already hit that financial freedom milestone or they're financially independent. How could they give back and contribute to the community or help out their neighborhoods? So I I feel really proud about that. I mean, that was extra time for mm -hmm. us in the credit union and they were pulling resources and they were promoting it, but I felt like that made a huge impact. It was so great to align with something that I was doing 
and I don't want to call myself like an expert, like I'm not an expert podcaster or whatever, but the fact that I could use my talents to help an immediate practical need in the community made me feel good. Yeah. And that takes so much courage too, especially in that time when so many people were scared and navigating this uncertainty. I mean, a lot of people still are, frankly. And, but to go in right at the beginning and think, okay, given the situation that we're in, how can I take my strengths and my gifts and my experience and really give back and help people? And what a privilege and what a gift that you were able to give to the community. I'm sure that those pieces have been super impactful for your audience, um, especially that early on in this crisis. Yeah, Yeah, I just, I feel like when we reach certain milestones, you know, kind of put ourselves back in those shoes at the beginning of their journey. And how can we help someone? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Elle, I'm sure our listeners are going to want to follow up with you, listen to your podcast and learn more about all that you're doing. So what's the best place for them to go? Well, if they want to talk about marriage and money and how to sync up your finances, my site is Couple Money. And the podcast, which covers not just finances, but those conversations within the family, especially with parenthood, when you have kids, how do you balance it all, is called Simplify and Enjoy. All right. Well, El Martinez, creator and host of Couple Money, thank you so much for being here with us today, El. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 